Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the beauty of this day, beauty that we experience in the changing colors, beauty that we experience in the face of the very young and the very old among us, beauty that we experience in the gifts of bread and cup. And so we ask you now to silence in us any voice but your own. And as we hear your word transform us, that we might serve you and serve your world with all joy and delight. For we pray in Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. Our epistle lesson this morning comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church, the first 13 verses of the second chapter. We have heard the choir sing it already here now in written form, God's word to us. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we emptied my parents' house now some three years ago. But that doesn't mean we've gotten rid of everything. So in our ongoing quest to declutter, my sister recently gave back to me a box of 45 records. Now, for those of you who don't know what a 45 record is, let alone what a record is, It was the way many of us in our youth listened to music. They were called singles. You put a little insert in and it all was a beautiful thing. I had dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Now, my sister brought back this box full of them. Looking through them was kind of a trip down memory lane, a a window into a very specific era in my own life and my own often very questionable taste in music, I have to confess. 
though there were some gems in that box as well. I didn't listen to country music much then, I don't now, to be honest. Occasionally on a Saturday night, the family would gather around the television and watch Hee Haw, actually. I don't know if you remember that show. And if you don't remember what Hee Haw is, frankly, I'm not going to explain it to you this morning. <laughs> so not too much country music. But in that stack of records was one or two singles by Johnny Cash. Two of them, The Man in Black and Folsom Prison Blues. And what struck me at that moment is that as much history and chemistry and every other thing I forgot, I still knew every word to every one of those songs. How do I know that? Not by playing them, because I have no way to play a record anymore, but I looked them up on YouTube and sang along to Johnny Cash word by word by word. Now, whatever else he was, Johnny Cash was cool. He looked cool. He dressed cool. Most of all, he sang cool with that voice, that voice. So listening to that music again triggered other memories about Johnny Cash in my own life, including his various falls from grace, his addiction, the peaks and valleys of his career. A revival late in his life, which he was enjoying even as he died. I remember reading about Johnny Cash's career revival, in fact. It was a fascinating thing, and a, and a relationship he had with a record producer whose name was Rick Rubin, who was credited with saving Cash's career, and perhaps even his life at that point. Now, I don't know if you know any of this, Rubin mostly works with rock musicians. But he uncovered in Johnny Cash a musical style that was spare and rugged and honest and authentic, not country, not rock, compelling, at least to me. So just a couple years ago, I bought my first Johnny Cash album, which is now a CD, which now already is an antique, of course. <laughs> and I read at that time, and I reread the story again this week of how Johnny Cash and Rick Rubin, Rubin born Jewish, but now of no particular religious background or an embracer of many, to be honest, would talk on the telephone every single night in whatever towns they were in on either sides of the country, any place around the world. They would talk on the telephone, and then at the end of the conversation, they would share communion. Communion. I don't know what it looked like. It's hard to find the stories of the details. I don't know what words were exchanged, but they shared holy communion. How interesting, I thought. Then after thinking how interesting that was, I really didn't know what to think. What they were doing wasn't communion, at least in the way I understood it, at least in the way seminary taught me about it, with a liturgy and a minister and little cups and little pieces of bread and lots of theological stuff to make things decent and in order. Yet what they were doing was certainly communion in some other sense, particular to them, certainly, but also more expansive. Now, I know there are lots of Presbyterian ministers in the sanctuary today. Don't worry, I'm not going off the rails in terms of what I believe about communion. But on this World Communion Sunday, remember that, World Communion Sunday, when we 
Welcome Kenyan sisters and brothers to our house, and where all will be fed at that table. In this year, when we think about 190 years of our history, and all the people who sat in these pews in this place for so many generations, in this season, when we think about stewardship in expansive ways, and perhaps a moment or two to ponder what this all is and what it all means is a good thing, using the lens of a formerly Jewish record producer and an aging country singer. First, the name, or in fact, the names. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper or the sacrament of Holy Communion. Sacrament means sacred, of course, and holy. This is holy ground we're standing on this morning, blessed by God, and blessed by God's ongoing presence. Now, almost since the beginning, Christians have fought over what that word presence means, what it looks like, what do we understand. We, we Presbyterians, as we often do, have landed somewhere in the middle, believing that somehow the Spirit of Christ is with us as we gather around the table. It's a sacrament because Jesus told us to do it. Do this, he said. It was simple. Do this. So we do it. And the this in the do this was a meal. We forget that sometimes as it has become so ritualized. It's a meal. People often ask me how children can understand. Sometimes I often return that question with another question, how can we adults understand as well? But children and all of us can certainly understand that Jesus shared a meal with his friends and told us to do that also. So it's a supper. Yet it's a supper that communes. We commune with Jesus first and foremost, but we also commune one with another. I was thinking this week of all the times and ways and places and manners in which I've experienced this sacrament. Big and fancy, modest and quaint, big loaves of bread, dry little wafers, grape juice, wine. Our understanding of all this might be individualized based on your own experiences, but it's never privatized, always communal. In community, the body broken within the body gathered. And the body cannot be limited to those near us, and clearly not limited to those like us. That's what I so love about World Communion Sunday. It may be quaint or sentimental, I get that, but I love envisioning people all over the world, various languages, styles, customs, breaking bread and sharing some kind of cup, In fact, one of my most treasured memories of our visit two years ago was sharing leadership in the sacrament with our sisters and brothers there. I think Jesus would like all this, this global view, this expansive, universal, inclusive, welcoming view. And it's not limited to that. Communion, as much as we fuss about the liturgical requirements, is nothing 
if it does not have an ethical component to it. That is to say, we cannot break bread and share the cup this morning if we do not think of those who came to dining room ministry yesterday or those who will come here for food tomorrow. We cannot break bread and share the cup this morning if we do not think of those with no food or water in Puerto Rico. We cannot break bread and share the cup this morning if we do not think of those in Kenya who are ministered to and with and by our Kenyan partners. Communion must have an ethical component, which reminds us that this is the Lord's Supper always and not ours. We are guests, not hosts. And the hospitality we experience here must overflow to all the places where hospitality is so urgently needed. During this year of 190 anniversary celebrations, I like to think of all of our third church forebears marking this sacrament at our first location in 1827 or in our second location in the middle of that century in this place since the 1880s. For much of that history, communion happened four times a year, quarterly, perhaps also on Monday, Thursday. The argument was that more often would make it less special or meaningful. But I question that logic. That, and so many things about this sacrament, have changed over time. And I think about all those who have gone before us, who look different, who behave different, perhaps even believed differently, yet at this very point, at the moment when the bread is broken and the cup is poured out, a continuous line is formed that connects us to that first meal, to so many meals, to this one. Communion as a great equalizer and an extraordinary common denominator. The common denominator is Jesus, of course described this morning by Paul to the Philippians as one who emptied himself, who poured himself out, and in a surprising and unexpected turn was exalted by God for it. So that servanthood of Jesus underscores the ethical demands of this sacrament. If Jesus did this for us, we must do it for others. But it also reminds us of one thing more as we ponder communion. We Presbyterians have shied away from the word Eucharist because it sounds either too Roman Catholic or too Episcopalian. It is neither, or it is both and so much more than that. Eucharist simply means Thanksgiving. And at heart, this meal is a true Thanksgiving feast. And I bet that's what Rick Rubin and Johnny Cash were doing. They were saying thank you to one another in their own way. I hope that's what we'll do in a moment or two. Simply say thank you. Thank you as a continual reminder of God's provision. Provision offered even when we don't say thank you. Katie read the story from Exodus. The Israelites had been liberated from bondage. They were wandering in the desert. Their thirst was strong, to be sure. But still, 
They demanded and complained and forgot all about God's provision. Moses was fed up with them, and he complained to God. And God, like so many other times, time after time after time, provided water from the rock, even in the face of ingratitude. We are tempted to complain about what we don't have. We are tempted to think what we do have is of our own making. And Eucharist reminds us otherwise, that we have what we need, more than enough, in abundance even, gracious gifts from a generous God. And for that we say thank you. For that we join with those who have gone before us and say thank you. For that, we share this meal physically today with Kenyan partners and spiritually in so many other ways. Every time we gather with all who follow Jesus all around the world, and we say thank you. For that, we reclaim the ethical mandate of this meal. As we think of those in need, whose bodies and spirits hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we say, thank you. For these truly are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.